Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is Stacking the Box with NFL insider Matt Berteram and Mark Carmen. Welcome into Stacking the Box. I am Matt Verderam, joined by the man you hear in the stream all the time on his own show, Matt Lombardo, as Mark Carmen is at the U.S. Open down in Flushing, New York, probably sweating to death since it's about 95 degrees. So Carm can enjoy that. We are going to talk about J.K. Dobbins getting injured, about Deshaun Watson maybe being on the move, and what are the Giants going to do with their quarterback and left tackle? Matt, great to be here. Excited to, you know, finally be co-hosting a show with you. We've talked about doing this for quite some time since we started working together. I'm really excited to be back on Stacking the Box. And it sounds like we have a lot of really fun things to get into. And it's a really busy time across the NFL. And what a great time to be doing the show. Absolutely. If it goes well, we can kick uh, Carm to the curb. All that <laughs> next, all that next coming up on Stacking the Box. Guys. Don't forget to take care of your own needs here as we head into September. And in that vein, Manscaped has you covered. Look, if you don't have the latest cutting-edge technology and literally cutting-edge technology from Manscaped, a lawnmower and whatnot, you're missing out. Look, it's a product that I use that I fully endorse. I'll tell you right now, if you're not using it, you're putting yourself in a bad position and anybody you may be with in a worse position. So... If you go to manscaped.com right now, you can get 20% off by using the code FANSIDED20. Just click it right in on the website. You get free shipping and 20% off your purchase. I don't know about you, Lombardo, but for me, it's a game changer. It's a great product, and it was actually life-changing in a lot of ways. And if you're not manscaping, you put it best. Not only are you doing yourself a disservice, but you're probably going to be, you know, spending a lot of time alone if people realize you're not manscaping and using the Manscaped product. The biggest story coming out of the weekend on the field, J.K. Dobbins getting hurt. The biggest story off the field, the reports from Charles Robinson, from Mike Florio, from other sources as well, that Deshaun Watson is still being courted significantly by the Dolphins. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, Lombardo, let's start off with the Ravens. This is a team that uses their rushing attack more than anybody in football, and Dobbins Clearly, was going to be that number one back. Yes, Gus Edwards is still there. He's a good player. But Dobbins, everybody around the league talking about how good he was going to be this year, how much of an important player he was going to be in the way that they play that offense, and not even just running the ball, but also throwing it to him. And he got hurt, actually, on a play where he caught a pass, a screen pass, down near the red zone. How much of an impact do you think this has on Baltimore? Do you think, you think they can replace him with Gus Edwards and be all right, or is this something where this is really going to cripple him? Yeah, Matt, I don't think this is going to cripple them at all. And, you know, I'll couch that by saying that I think J.K. Dobbins has the chance to be a real impact player and really prove that last year. And he's a guy that, as you talked about, just as dangerous as a pass catcher as he is as a runner. But let's not overlook Gus Edwards. Here's a guy I know in limited touches, but he averages 5.2 yards per carry. He can push for double-digit touchdowns. I think the Ravens are going to go shopping for running back help, especially now that you have cuts being made by 4 p.m. on Tuesday. Teams got to be down – 
to 53 players. But I think the the, the Ravens are going to be a team that just keeps plugging along. You bump Gus Edwards up on the depth chart. Maybe you go pick up a, a Corey Clement if the Giants release him. Maybe you go pick up a, a, a draft pick who might not have made it onto a roster somewhere, and you go with a two-headed rushing attack. But their main source on the ground, Matt, we all know it's Lamar Jackson, and everything else kind of complements him. So, yes, it's a big loss, but I'm not overstating, and I'm not going to over-exaggerate how much this is going to cripple or hurt the Ravens. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like, I think it's more about Greg Roman's system and the threat of Lamar Jackson than is there anything else. Now, I, I will say, kind of in the same light, uh, the way you went, look, losing Dobbins, it does matter. Like, he is the best back on that team. And he's by far the best receiving back. Like, I think that's where it hurts them the most. You know, they're not a team that is prolific throwing the football. They, you know, Jackson's never thrown for 3,200 yards in a season. So you need to be able to swing that ball out and get those linemen out in space and get those cheap yards, so to speak. Not having Dobbins in that aspect, I think, really hurts him. Running the ball might hurt a little bit. I think the bigger problem with the rushing attack now is if Gus Edwards goes out for any point in time. Now you're in a position where you're really thin. Oh, for I, sure. That, that that I think is is the bigger problem. But look, you lose Dobbins. He he arguably outside of, of Lamar Jackson's the most talented player on the offense. You know, may may you want to say Mark Andrews, that's fine, but it hurts. Um, but I think they'll be okay. Like I don't think this all of a sudden makes them like they're not gonna make the playoffs or something like that. I still think they're really good. But you know, one point I wanted to get to. And, and I, I wrote a little bit about this in Stack in the Box, the column today. If you want to go read it, check it out on fanside.com. Um, I think this has a really interesting impact, potentially anyway, on Lamar Jackson. Because you look at the way this offseason has gone. He was eligible for an extension. This was the first time he was eligible. He didn't get one. And you, you have to think that a big part of it, and I know from asking people around the league their thoughts on it, the passing game. The passing game has not been what it needs to be. And I get it. People want to scream at you on Twitter and say, hey, he threw 36 touchdowns in his MVP. He threw for 3,100 yards. Like, I don't care if he's throwing a four-yard touchdown pass. The, the passing game outside the numbers down the field has not been there for Baltimore. Any defensive coordinator in the league will tell you, if you can take the middle of the field away from them, they struggle. Now, if you want to blame, and that was really their undoing last year in the playoff loss to the Bills. He yeah. couldn't throw the ball downfield. And I understand. I get it, and I understand it was a like thirty-five mile an hour winds that night. But Josh Allen was still able to be effective. The Bills were still able to move the ball down the field yep. through the air. And I, I agree with you. The the perimeter and downfield passing game is really the Achilles heel for the Ravens' offense and for Lamar Jackson. But the thing that you also have to remember is he's not a guy that's asked to throw the ball all that often because the Ravens don't yes. find themselves playing from behind all that often. They're not in a situation where he needs to throw their way out of a hole and throw the ball 45, 50, 55 times because they're a run-first offense to begin with. And you know, more often than not, Matt, the Ravens are running down the clock in the fourth quarter, not trying to play catch-up. And, and that, that's very true. But I think, you know, They've lost some pieces defensively this year. Judon's gone, right? He's the he's the big name, you know. But you, you look at them, and I just wonder. Look, I still think they're very good. I still think they're a playoff team. I still think they're going to compete for that division with Cleveland. If you want to throw Pittsburgh in there? Go ahead. I think they're better than Pittsburgh. Um, but same, I, you know. I just think this is going to be a year where they talked a little bit anyway about Jackson going to be throwing the ball more. We're going, to, we're going to try to balance it out a little bit. Now you might really have to throw the ball a little bit more. If the defense takes a little step back, now you don't have Dobbins, 
And I think if you look at their offseason, they're telling you they want to throw the ball more. They went out and signed Sammy Watkins. He drafted Rashad Bateman in the first round. Like to me, who also got hurt, by the way. So it's it's really been a rough camp exactly. for the Ravens. And, and right, and Bateman's not going to start the season healthy. Watkins is a guy who's always dealing with something and, and, and has dealt with a little something this year. Now he, he might be there week one, but Watkins is a guy who's often injured. This is going to be a lot of pressure on Lamar. Like a lot of pressure. This is not, not only to win, but hey, you got to earn this contract. And I get it for people say, well, that's not fair. He already earned it. This is the NFL. If he doesn't play well this year, I'm not saying he wouldn't get a contract, but he would struggle to get Allen money, Mahomes money. He just would. But if he goes out this year and he's great, then he's got every right to say, look, I should be paid way more than Josh Allen. I was an MVP. So it's it's a huge year for him. And I think the burden just got a little bit heavier with Dobbins being hurt. No, I agree. And I, I spoke to an agent about this a few weeks ago after Josh Allen signed his mega deal with the Bills. And Lamar Jackson's one of the biggest winners of that contract because he For has sure. the track record. He's been to the playoffs twice. He has the MVP under his belt. That's an area where you look at Baker Mayfield, and I've said this before, I've written it. I think the Browns are the biggest threat to the Kansas City Chiefs going 17-0. and I think the Browns are the biggest threat to knock off Kansas City and go to a Super Bowl. And if that's the case, Baker Mayfield gets to cash in on the bet on himself going into this year but that's kind of where Mayfield finds himself in that mega contract equation that he's betting on himself with a far improved supporting cast and a much better situation on both sides of the ball whereas Lamar Jackson he's already done it so if he goes out and the Ravens win 11 games if they go to the playoffs again regardless of how it ends he can you know go into John Harbaugh's office he can go into the front office and say listen in my first three years I took you to the playoffs three times. I have an MVP under my belt. You know, right. I, I, you know, led you to a hypothetical division title or a wildcard berth without my number one running back, without my hotshot rookie receiver for X amount of games. And he can kind of, you know, throw his hand on the table and say, this is the dollar amount that I'm looking for. And if you're the Ravens, you're kind of inclined to have to pay him because what are the better options? You're going to be picking in the mid twenties or later if you make the postseason, And if you don't, then maybe Baltimore has a little bit of leverage there, but I'm with you. I think he gets paid either way. It's just a matter of whether he becomes the highest paid quarterback or has to settle. Well, now, look, no question. I'm with you. I agree. It's a fascinating thing. Speaking of fascinating things and revolving around AFC quarterbacks, bombshell reports coming out on Saturday. Look, We've all known that the Dolphins had some levels of interest in Deshaun Watson, but it's one thing to have a level of interest in Deshaun Watson. It's quite another, as Charles Robinson reported, that they are still interested despite the fact that the Texans want three firsts and two seconds. And, of course, that doesn't even touch on the most important thing, which is Watson is facing 22 civil suits alleging sexual assault. There are some criminal complaints involved. The Harris County Police Department is involved. The FBI, on some level, according to the lawyers, are involved. It's hard to see exactly what the FBI is investigating because the lawyers don't agree on that, but they're involved. Um Never and, great, by the way. It, Never a great sign. No, not good. Not good. If you're trading for a player that the FBI and, 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 a, and a police department's involved with, and there's almost two dozen civil suits on the table, that to me is a complete non-starter. Apparently not for Miami. Um, and, and these reports have been out there now for a couple of days, and you don't see a ton of refuting. Brian Flores has come out and said, hey, we're not going to talk about that, telling the players to fuck. Not exactly a, hey, we didn't do that. 
I mean, you know, you took the words out of my mouth there. You listened to him on Monday and it was basically, you know, we're not going to talk about that. It wasn't about how much they believe in Tua. It wasn't about the optimism about him going into year two. And it's really a fascinating situation unfolding here, Matt, because the the Dolphins are telling you without explicitly telling you how little they think about Tua. We don't believe in Tua. Right. You go out, you you trade for Will Fuller, you draft Jalen Waddle, you already had, you know, Preston Williams, you already had Mike Kosicki, you had a lot of weapons there. This offense should be ready to go with a second-year quarterback fully healthy and Tua Tagovailoa. But the Dolphins have all those first-round picks, and they're sniffing around, they're poking around, and and where there's this much smoke, it makes me think that there's fire. And it makes me think that it's a matter of if, of when rather than if the Dolphins wind up trading for, for Deshaun Watson, whether it's now three months from now, six yep. months from now, next year, if Watson gets moved, I think the Dolphins are steadfastly the leaders in the clubhouse to pull off a deal. I, I think you're right. And I'll tell you right now, flat out, if the Dolphins trade three first and two seconds for Deshaun Watson, they're insane. They're insane. And Robinson, oh, Charles Robinson does a great job. Who sports pointed out, you know, not, not just they, like if any, any of these teams that have been involved, they're looking for pick protection from the league. Good luck with that. Yeah, that didn't happen. It's you know, in the NBA. You know, you know what kind of precedent that is? Right. You know, nobody's doing that. Hey, look, if you want to go trade half your franchise for a guy who's facing almost two dozen civil suits, that's on you. I, but I'll tell you, it tells me a couple of things. Number one, and I wrote about this and you just said it, even if they don't get to Sean Watson, it tells you all you need to know about what they think of Tua. Like everybody's been parsing this a million ways. They clearly don't believe in him. If you you don't give three firsts and two seconds away for a quarterback if you think two is good. I don't. And by the way, even if that price tag ends up being off and they give up a first and a second because they, the Texans have no. It's still a lot. It's still a ton. Yeah. It's not like you're bringing in some guy off the street. And if you believed in Tua, you wouldn't be bringing in anybody. I don't think the Chargers are going out looking for a quarterback right now. They believe in Justin Herbert. So it also tells me, by the way, the Dolphins are getting somewhat desperate. Because you know, this is a franchise that has not been to an AFC title game since 1992. They have not won a Super Bowl since 1973. And I get to Sean Watson's a great player. When you strip away the stuff off the field, just talking about on-field performance, he's a top, top five quarterback, quarterback in the league. Yeah, No doubt. But we don't live in a world where you just get to strip out everything else. And everything else does come with it. And right now... He is incredibly embattled. You have no idea when he's going to play football again. And and not look, I get the Dolphins fan who says, "Hey, well we didn't make this trade yet. You're just you're just pontificating." Look, maybe maybe that's that's true they haven't made the trade yet, but if they're even entertaining it, it it speaks volumes about where they are as an organization, the threshold that they're willing to put up with as an organization, and it speaks about Tua and, hey, yeah, we took this kid fifth overall last year, but we've seen him now for a year and a camp and a preseason, and we're good. We're good. We, we've seen enough. Yeah, and, and, Matt, the other thing at play here is that these are some pretty heinous accusations. And in yes. today's climate and in any climate, really, they deserve to be aired. And I, I'm inclined to, to believe when a woman makes these kind of allegations for that sure. they're legitimate and, and that they should be brought to the fore. And that's what I think should inspire a lot of caution 
about any team trading for Deshaun Watson, but this whole situation and the way that the Houston Texans and the NFL has handled this, Roger Goodell not putting Deshaun Watson on the commissioner's exempt list, the Houston Texans not sending him home, suspending him for conduct detrimental for the team or keeping him inside and saying, listen, we understand why you're here. We can't dock your pay because of this, but you're going to go and lift during practice. We're not putting you on the field with the media present. We're not putting you on the field in practice to eliminate the distraction. But none of those things happened. And you're still hearing the Dolphins, according to Charles Robinson and other reports this weekend, being involved in active discussions, reportedly trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. So it makes me wonder if while the FBI and the police departments and all of the civil attorneys are conducting their investigations, if the NFL doesn't know something that everybody else doesn't, because I just can't imagine with everything that happened with Josh Brown and the Giants a couple of years ago, everything that happened, you know, with Ray Rice and how that situation just exploded and changed the way that we view domestic violence in terms of athletes and how the league views it, it blows my mind that if they're to bring up the smoke and fire analogy, that if there's fire there, that the league would allow this to continue, that the Dolphins would be making this kind of offer or entertaining this kind of offer, thinking that Deshaun wouldn't be available and be found guilty of this stuff. I'll tell you, it is if they make a trade for Deshaun Watson and they put in any draft capital of significance, it is the riskiest trade I can ever remember. And it's not with a close second. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. All right, let's move on into the future. Got the four topics, as always. Lombardo, we're done with the preseason, finally. And it feels great. Only three preseason games, not four. I will argue God. with anybody. Three, three preseason, beautiful. Far better than four. Give me two. Yeah. Give me right. one. That's right. Remember, and I think the coaches we, agree with us, by the way. You look at all these coaches having joint practices the yeah, last few weeks. They couldn't care any less about these preseason games. Yeah, it's done. It's over. Um, the charade is over. Now that the preseason is, is behind us, who is your sleeper in each conference? Give me one team. Yeah, you know, off the top of my head, it's the Carolina Panthers in the NFC. I mean, you look at their depth chart, you look at their roster on defense. You got Yitor Grossmatos, you got Brian Burns up front. They went out, they drafted arguably the top cornerback available in J.C. Yep. Horn. And, you know, you look at all at that offense, you have D.J. Moore, you have Christian McCaffrey. Again, I, I, coaches are really down on Sam Darnold. But if Sam Darnold can be even serviceable with that supporting cast and that defense, I don't think they're winning the NFC South, but I think they can make some noise and make a run at a wild card. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I, I'll stay in that division. I mentioned them last week, so I, I'll be brief because I don't want to bore the listeners with the same spiel. But I think the Saints are an interesting team. Now, look, I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl team. They're not. But if Jameis can just be good, not great, just good, I think they're a really interesting team. Because the defense is really good. Now, obviously, unfortunately, everything with Hurricane Ida, like you're, you're dealing with some serious stuff down in New Orleans, goes far beyond football. We'll see if they play week one at home against the Packers or if that game gets moved. Um, obviously not the biggest uh, worry at the moment right now for the people down in Louisiana. And you know, hopefully everybody's safe. Um, but I like the Saints. I think the Saints are, are a good team. And I just trust Sean Payton. I trust him 
to get the most out of that team. And I think that division outside of the Bucks, you can make a sleeper case for any of those teams. Like you really could. And I think one of them will emerge as a playoff contender. So I'll take my shot in the Saints. In the AFC, I struggled to find the sleeper, but I'll throw this one out there. I think Denver's interesting. Denver's roster is really good. The quarterback situation is not, which is why I really struggled with finding that sleeper. If the quarterback situation was even decent in Denver, I'd pick them to make the playoffs. But I do it's think not. Bridgewater. No, it's not. But <laughs> I, 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 the reason I throw him in there, I think Bridgewater is the right pick. Like Locke, Locke is going to throw a million interceptions for you. He, he led the league last year in picks, and he played 13 games. Like Bridgewater, I think the Broncos are basically saying, look, we need a caretaker. We need a caretaker. We're going to win games 20 to 17. That's how now can they do that in today's NFL in a division with two teams that are gonna score a lot of points? I don't know. But if I had to pick one in the AFC, that's where I'd go. It's funny you bring up the Broncos, Matt, because I mentioned on my podcast on Friday, I did a three up, three down segment, the three teams that I'm high on, the three teams that I'm lower on today after watching the preseason and training camp. And I had the Broncos leading off my three down segment Mm -hmm. because, you know, I I love the supporting cast around Teddy Bridgewater. I think the KJ Hamler, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Noah Font, you go to battle with a serviceable quarterback every day of the week with that, that supporting cast. And I love the talent they have on defense. Von Miller is a future Hall of Famer. I I just look at Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's a bridge to nowhere. You don't have the young quarterback you're trying to develop. And if you win seven or eight, nine games, you're not going to be good enough to make the playoffs. You're not going to be bad enough to be picking at the top of the board. So I just don't understand that move. But if you want a sleeper team out of the AFC, I'm going to go. And it's unbelievable that we're saying this. Unbelievable. Bill Belichick and the Patriots, to me, are the sleeper team. Okay. And, you know, I watched a lot of New England this preseason. They they played the Eagles, so that was the game that was on here in the second week of the preseason. So I watched that game. I saw Mac Jones moving the ball down the field, arm strength for days, pinpoint accuracy, can operate within the system. And then he goes up against the Giants in joint practices and lights it up. Jordan Ronan of ESPN charted the practice, had him at something of 34 of 40, moved the ball really well on Sunday night in the preseason game. If Mac Jones can perform at that level when they go out and they get Nelson Aguilar and Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and they bring in Matt Judon, who we talked about earlier, to anchor that front seven on defense. Sure. Look, I, I don't think that anybody's unseating the Buffalo Bills except for maybe COVID. But I think that if there's a team that can push for a wild card on that side of the bracket, maybe pull off an upset or two of an AFC favorite, I like my chances with Belichick if he starts Mac Jones. Hey, that's that's a good call. That's a good call. Anytime your sleeper involves Belichick, you're, you're in pretty <laughs> good shape. You know, which one week one game are you most excited for? I'll lead this off. You know, and I, and I know people will be shocked at this. I think Kansas City game. and Cleveland <laughs> – but I really think it's the best game of the week, first off. And second of all, like, there were some games I thought of that have, like, interesting, like, Indy and Seattle, but I have no idea, like, with Wentz. But now he's on the COVID list. Now I have no idea what's going on. So you have that. You have Arizona and Tennessee, which is an interesting game. Pittsburgh-Buffalo, good game. Don't you know, forget the opener. You got Dallas and, and sure, the Buccaneers Dallas on the Tampa, Thursday. Absolutely right. It was a good slate at week one. Good slate. But I, I go with Kansas City and Cleveland for, for two reasons. One is – the Chiefs' offensive line is completely rebuilt. They have gangbusters in the, in the in the preseason. They have destroyed teams up front. I'm curious to see what they do in, in an actual regular season game when teams are going to be throwing everything they've got at them. But really more importantly, look, if the Chiefs lose that game, I still think the Chiefs are the favorites to win the Super Bowl, at least to get the Super Bowl in the AFC. What is Cleveland? Cleveland last year was really, really good, 11-5, and five, but they had a negative point differential. They get in the playoffs. They win that crazy game where Pittsburgh turns it over a million times, and they go to Kansas City – 
the Chiefs are blowing them out, and then Mahomes gets hurt, and it becomes a really interesting game. This is, to me, even though it's week one, and it, look, it's not the end of the all. I'm not trying to sell it that way. It's a measuring stick for Cleveland. Like, if they go in there and they lose 38-34, okay. Like, even though they lost. Like, all right, that shows me something. Yeah. If Kansas City blows them out and it's just a massacre, that also kind of shows me something. So I'm real curious. I, I like Cleveland a lot. I think Cleveland's a really good team. Where are they in terms of their development? You know, I agree. And that's the game that I have circled in red and then highlighted with the black pen pointing at it. it it's Cleveland and, and Kansas City. You know, I've written about it. We talked about it. I've talked about it on my podcast. This is Kansas City's biggest test to going 17-0, and in my opinion, because I think they're the most complete team in the NFL. I think they have the most explosive supporting cast. They obviously have the best quarterback currently walked in the planet. But right out of the shoot week one, you have Pro Football Focus lists the Browns as the number one offensive line in the league. You can make case they have the most dominant pass rush in the NFL. Andrew Barry has done a great job of building out that secondary over the last couple of drafts and free agency. They've plugged some holes as well, but you touched on it as well. The offensive line for Kansas City, there might not be a more improved unit at any position group on any team in the league outside of Kansas City's offensive line. So it's a measuring stick for both teams, in my opinion. It's an AFC Championship preview. That's the game that I have circled. And another game, it's the opener, because I want to see what Dak Prescott is coming off the injury. And you talk about the Buccaneers returning all 22 starters. Jason Light and Bruce Arians had one of the more forward-thinking offseasons of any team that I can remember. Tough test for them. Yes, they get to raise the banner. Yes, they get to do it at home. Do they carry the momentum with Tom Brady and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and all of those weapons? Or is Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and that Cowboys rebuilt defense up to the task of pulling off a week one upset? So those two games are the ones I'm looking forward to the most. I'm very curious to see how that Cowboys defense plays. Of course, your guy, Micah Parsons from Penn State, is great in the preseason. I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see how that goes. And, you know, yes, and with, with Cleveland, like Garrett's a beast. Like, that's going to be the interesting thing. Like, I'm not maybe as old as you are in the rest of that group, but for, I'm just not a clowny guy. Like, at some point, you got to show it to me. But He's a piece Garrett, of the puzzle rather than the whole puzzle. For sure. But Garrett's great. Yep. And it's going to be fascinating. You know, he played hurt in the playoffs. He, he wasn't much of a factor, but it was obvious he was not anywhere near 100%. So that would be a very couple of interesting games, no question. All right, number three here on our list. Are the Texans the worst team in football? Or you like somebody else to be in the worst team. If you look at the over-under win totals, Houston's the lowest. They're at four. Four. Pound the under. Pound the under. I'm Who's the quarterback? Who's the quarterback? Is it Davis Mills? Or I think it's Tyrod Taylor. I think it's Tyrod, and I feel for him. I actually feel bad for him that he's starting. But, um, you know, the Jets are out there. The Lions are out there. Maybe the Eagles are out there. Like Who do, who do you think is the worst team when, when, the, when it all comes to pass here after week 18? I mean, Houston's the layup, right? I don't know that there's a team that's worse than the Houston Texans. And, you know, I hate to say it because I know we're having them on on the podcast. I think the Falcons can make a run at this thing. And and I know they went out and they drafted Kyle Pitts, who could be an immediate impact player. But I look at that division and I just think the Falcons are a cut below the rest of the NFC South. And, you know, you're playing Tampa twice. You got to play the Saints twice. You got to play Carolina. But, but I don't think anybody... But nobody gets in the way of the Texans and picking first overall in next year's draft. I don't know if they win a game. I mean, you talk about the talent 
that's just been, you know, exiled from there. They, they give away DeAndre Hopkins for a used practice ball and a slice of pizza. You know, they trade away. They lose Will Fuller. Now everything going on with Deshaun Watson. And yeah. I love David Culley. I think he's a great guy. And obviously an NFL lifer as a coach. I think this is a terrible situation for him to be a first-time NFL head coach. All the dysfunction of the offseason, there's no team worse than the Texans. No organization in sports worse than the Texans. It's a mouthful, but I, I, I'm inclined to agree without overthinking it too much. Uh, they've, <laughs> they've overtaken the Knicks from 20 years of dysfunction. I, I, I have to agree with you. You know, I, I thought about the Lions because the Lions just have nobody. Man. They, are, they are bereft of talent. But I like Dan Campbell. And I like yeah. that coaching staff. Like I, I, and Goff is in – look, I get it. He's not an elite quarterback. I'm not trying to sell that. But he's an NFL quarterback. I think they will win some games simply based off the fact that I, I do believe they will be coached well. And I do believe that Goff will steward them to five wins. I don't think there's any chance in hell Houston's getting five wins. I don't think they get to three. No, I don't either. You look at that division, they're not beating Indy. And they're not beating Tennessee. And, I, and by the way, I'm not even in love with Indianapolis. But Indianapolis is going to beat them ten times out of ten. Yeah, Jacksonville? Like, Urban Meyer scares the hell out of me, but Jacksonville's more talented than Houston. I mean, just a quarterback. Throw, right? throw so, the Jaguars into that worst team pile, too. I, oh, I told, I would, they're they're so irrelevant that I forgot about them. They're over under six and a half. And I was like, who in God's name is betting the over on this? Like, who thinks they're winning seven games? Have you seen Urban Meyer coaching this team? Yeah, they have, they have no rhythm at all on offense. They have no identity. There's not much talent around – Trevor Lawrence, the offensive line is a sieve. No, so, yeah, I, I think you they could stink. have two AFC South teams picking one and two next April. There's it's my possible. bold prediction. It's very it's very possible. All right. Your neck of the woods. New York football giants. How much trouble are they in with Daniel Jones and their left tackle, second-year left tackle, Andrew Thomas? Because you'll watch the preseason game against New England, and it's a preseason game. Andrew Thomas was brutal. In that game, Jones throws a pick. He's erratic. You looking at it as a little bit of a blip on the radar screen or a continuance of problems in years past? No, I think that Andrew Thomas, and I wrote about this today on G-Men HQ. You can go check it out. If he plays the way he played on Sunday night, the Giants can't compete. You just can't compete when you have your left tackle getting bull rushed into your quarterback's lap all night long, getting beat off the edge. And I know it was Matt Judon at times, and I know there was Dan Oosh at others. And, you know, but but you're the number four overall pick in the draft. And, and I think that Thomas might have regressed from what was really an inconsistent rookie year. And as far as Daniel Jones goes, there was nobody of substance on the field for the Patriots when he led that end of the half touchdown drive when he found Caden Smith in the back of the end zone. Those guys are going to be selling used cars and, and homeowners insurance next week. You, you should be able to move the ball on those guys is my point. The interception is the far bigger issue here because it was another throw where it was off target behind the guy, telegraphed his throw. He had two other passes that should have been intercepted. Matt, I've watched this offense in training camp all summer long. I've been to six or seven practices, two of the three preseason games. And we talk about the Jaguars offense not having any identity. The Giants have been without Kenny Galladay and without Kadarius Toney for most of training camp. Yeah. Saquon Barkley is just now working back into some non-contact full-team drills. I went into this year, into this preseason, thinking the Giants could be one of those nine or ten win teams, maybe push for a division title with the Cowboys in Washington and the NFC East. I'm more bullish on the Philadelphia Eagles and far more bearish on the New York Giants after what I've seen this summer. And I think the Giants could struggle to win six games. And if that's the case, 
you have all kinds of questions facing that organization and facing Daniel Jones. Might have to clean house at that point. I mean, they got two first round picks next year. If that's the case, you have to think they might be looking quarterback. Gettleman might be out. Yeah. The whole deal. Look, I'll just say this because you're you're all over the Giants. You're there all the time. Andrew Thomas, if he doesn't get better, that is a train wreck of a pick. A train wreck. And not just because he's bad. They could have taken Jedrick Wills, who has been excellent for Cleveland. They could have taken Mekhi Becton, who inhabits the same stadium, who's been good for the Jets. Chris Mayweather told me that he has a chance to be a Hall of Famer, that he has gold jacket potential. That's the type of player you need to tackle with the offense they've built. Right. Absolutely. Tristan Wirfs, who just won a Super Bowl ring. He was great in Tampa. And by the way, there were even guys that got drafted after. Now, I'm not going to get into all that because there are guys that, you know, listen, you can play that game all day long. You know, if guy's not projected to be a first-round pick, you're not taking him at four. But other than Isaiah Wilson, who's been a, a, just an out-of-the-league disaster, the Giants could not have screwed that pick up anymore as we sit here right now. Now, before we get to in and out, or in or out rather, we have to bring in a very special guest, an interview with Atlanta Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan, joined the podcast, gave us 15 minutes, promoting some stuff with Tide. You're going to want to listen to that. You're also going to want to listen to who are a couple guys on his team that he believes are better than people know about. How's Kyle Pitts look? How's the division look? Does he think he's a Hall of Famer? And what about the 17-game schedule? All that and more with Matt Ryan right here on Stacking the Box. And now we want to welcome in very special guest here for Stacking the Box, Atlanta Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan, less than two weeks away from the start of the regular season. We'll get to plenty of football, but before we do, Matt, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Second of all, you were working with Tide to promote something that's very important. Uh, I'd like to give you the floor and kind of let you talk about just what you're doing with the company and why you're doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to partner with Tide. And, you know, I'm really excited that Tide has partnered with the NFL to switch to cold water washing. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really good opportunity, you know, for, for people to, to make the switch from warm water to cold water. It's great for the environment. Uh, the, the reduced use of energy saves your money, which is awesome too. You know, I know as, as a father of twin boys, we're, we're running the washing machine all the time. And so, you know, any chance people have to, to save some money and make a small change that's really good for the environment uh, is, is, is awesome. And so, you know, I'm excited to be a partner of it. Uh, I was really excited to shoot a commercial this past summer with Stone Cold and, and Ice-T, which was a personal highlight of mine uh, to get to meet those guys and, um, you know, I've really enjoyed being a part of it. I got to ask stone cold or iced tea. Were, were they, were they exactly what you thought they would be like? Did, did it live Man, up to the expectations? They surpassed it. Uh, both those guys, <laughs> I grew up watching, you know, stone cold and listening to iced tea and watching iced tea on law and order. And so, uh, I had no idea what to expect going into the day, but you know, both of them are down to earth, really cool guys, fun to spend time with uh absolute pros when it came to you know being on the screen which i was i was kind of weighing us down but those two were awesome <laughs> you know speaking of expectations you have a guy in your team that has very high expectations at least from the from the fans and from the media it's kyle pitch he gets drafted you know top five pick and he comes in and of course julio's now out and kyle comes in tight end i get it a little bit different position but still such an important part of the offense and i'm curious You've now gotten a pretty good up-close and personal look at Kyle Pitts for a month or so. What are your thoughts on what you've seen so far from the Florida product? I've been impressed. You know, I think he, he's certainly gifted. 
you know, there's, there's no question about that. I mean, everybody sees it. If you watch him play in college, you know, he's got great speed, great hands, you know, incredible ability to, to separate. Um, the thing I've been most impressed with is, is just his work ethic, day-to-day consistency, you know, showing up, wanting to get better every day. You know, I've been, I've been fortunate in my career to play with some, you know, great players. Uh, and all those guys had that same trait. You know, they showed up, they pushed themselves to be better every day. Uh, and they were very consistent from, from one practice to another. And, you know, he's certainly shown that. I think that gives him a chance. Uh, it's a, you know, tight end's a tough position to transition to because, you know, you've got responsibilities both in the run game and the pass game. Uh, but he's done a great job, of, you know, of, of learning the offense during training camp. And, you know, he's not a finished product by, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, he's a guy that has a great chance to be a good player in this league for a long time. You mentioned learning the offense, and I'm curious. This is the first year head coach for you guys now, and Arthur Smith, first time he's ever been a head coach. He comes over from the Titans where he had a lot of success as an offensive coordinator. And I'm curious, what has that been like for you? I mean, obviously you've gone through different coaches in your career. You've had to learn different offenses. But now with Arthur coming in, you're 36 years old. You're a veteran. You've been in the league many years. What has it been like for you learning this offense? And what has that relationship really been like for you here through, through OTAs and minicamp and now training camp? Well, I'll start with the relationship. I think it's been great. You know, he's, he's been very upfront and honest with me from the start and, you know, very clear about what his expectation, you know, is uh, from myself and all the players. And, and he's very direct and uh, straightforward. So that part of it's been awesome. I've really enjoyed working with him. I think as far as learning the offense and, you know, adjusting to a new culture. I think, you know, I'm lucky I've, uh, I've played in a, a scheme that's that's similar to this uh, at different points in my career. You know, it's funny, Art has worked with a lot of guys that that I have played for before, whether that be Mike Malarkey, you know, in, in Tennessee, Matt LaFleur uh, during his time in Tennessee, uh, Terry Robisky uh, was a receiver coach here for a long time, was in Tennessee as an offense coordinator, um, you know, even guys like Bob Bratkowski spent time with with uh, with Art in Tennessee. Bob was one of my quarterback coach. So there's there's kind of a little bit of, of some of these things that, you know, I see in this offense that I've done at different points in my career. And I think that helps from a learning standpoint. So now this season is going to be different for the NFL. 17 games for the first time. Obviously, you know, the 16 game schedule didn't place for almost 40 years, actually over 40 years. As a player... How do you view the 17th game? Do you, do you view it with disdain? Do you view it as, hey, it gives me a chance to, to pad some stats here over the course of the rest of my career? Is, is it something where you're kind of indifferent? How do you see the 17th game now that it's implemented and it's something you're going to have to deal with? You know, I think it's – the statistics part of it, I don't – you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think I probably indifference the right word to say. I don't know if that's, you know – the perfect way to describe it, but it is, you know, it's, it's what our schedule is this year. And so not that I necessarily agree with it to start. I thought 16 was fine, but um, you know, it wasn't my call to make. And so they put a 17th on there. It gives us another chance to go out there and, and, uh, and, and cut it loose and play. And so, you know, you you have to prepare yourself for, you know, the long haul. And so uh, I guess I am a little bit indifferent. It's another game we have on the schedule and another game that, you know, we've got to find a way to win. 
you know, the division for you guys is very different this year. You know, of course, you and Drew Brees have been in the same division for a long time. He's now retired. Jameis Winston going to be the starter there. Carolina kind of been in flux for a few years. Sam Darnold's now in. And, of course, the Buccaneers are the Buccaneers. They just won the Super Bowl. They brought everybody back. But from your perspective, how do you see the division? Because, really, you guys have had you know, an offseason of change. Carolina certainly has as well. New Orleans certainly has. And you have the team that probably the least change of anybody so how, how do you kind of see it as you go toward the regular season? I think it's a tough division. Uh, there's no no question about that. You know, you look at two of the best defenses in the league last year in Tampa and New Orleans, you know, returning, like you mentioned, a lot of players, a lot of guys on that side of the ball. I think Carolina was, was a young defense uh, that was talented last year and has some really good players, and they continued to draft on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and, and I think they'll be better and improve this year. So, you know, we've got our work cut out for us, but I feel good about our football team. You know, I think uh, we've got some good players, uh, really strong staff, and, you know, it's going to be important for us to, to improve as a team as we get through the year because we've had a lot of changes. And so, you know, the team we are week one is, is hopefully not the team we are at the end of the season. Hopefully we're a much better football team uh, late in the year, and, and we put ourselves in a spot where we have a chance to – uh, go compete for the division late in the year. You speak about your team. I'm curious, you know, who's a guy or maybe even a couple of guys on your team that maybe nationally don't get a lot of play as, as upper tier players, but you look at and from your perspective, you say, you know what, these guys are underrated. These are, you know, this is a guy or two who really deserves a little more shine than, than, than he gets. I think, you know, you look two guys on our offensive line, you look at Jake Matthews, you know, who's been so consistent for a long time. Uh, for us, you know, he, he's, he's a guy you can count on week in and week out. He's a technician, you know, excellent technique. Uh, he's tough. You know, he, he, he just is, he's available every week and he plays well for us every week. And he goes against great players in division every week. And, uh, you know, he consistently plays well, uh, you know, and, and then there's a young guy for us and Chris Lindstrom, you know, at right guard, uh, who I think has improved tremendously since he's been here. I think he, uh, he's a tough player, plays with great effort, and, and he's a guy that, you know, those positions at, at the guard spot usually don't get a lot of love, uh, but he's a guy who who I think, you, you know, people should take note of. He's a really good player. I want to go back real quick to 2008 when you're coming out of Boston College, and I was looking at that draft, kind of refresh my memory this morning, and that's a draft where obviously you go third to Atlanta, but there were some teams at the top of that draft that really needed a quarterback. You, you could argue almost every team at the top. You know, some years you get you get that that weird scenario where some teams don't really need a quarterback and it's pretty obvious where you're going to go. But if you look, okay, the Dolphins could have used one. The Rams could have used one. The, the, the Raiders had Jamarcus Russell at that point. And then the Chiefs rounded out the top five. They didn't have a quarterback. Did you know going toward the end of that process, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in Atlanta? Or, you know, leading into it, did you think maybe some other things could have played out? I had no idea. Um you know, because like you mentioned, probably other than the Raiders at that time, uh, because DeMarcus had been drafted right before me. Other other than that, you know, all four I met with and, and you know, didn't know what was going to happen. And so, um, you know, I, I really was up in the air uh, as to, to where I was going to be. You know, I'm happy I ended up where I did. You know, I feel like I've, uh, I've, I've ended up in a great situation, been here for a long time and it's become home and it's a great city to live in, but it was a strange time because you're right. There were so many teams that, 
um, you know, had had voids at the quarterback position. And, you know, I'm proud of the fact that that there hasn't been that here um, and, and that hasn't been the case in some of those other organizations. Um, last question, and thank you again for the time. Uh, look, if your, your statistics over 13 years really compare just about anybody. I mean, over the last 10 years, you've had over 4,000 passing yards. Each of those seasons, you've, of course, won MVP. You've led your team to a Super Bowl. You've been so durable. You've only missed three games throughout your entire career, 347 touchdowns, and over 55,000 yards. And I think, you know, now as, as you sort of move into – I don't know, maybe the last five years of your career, maybe the last six. I don't want to put a cap on it. But, um, you know, do you ever sit back and think to yourself, you know, I've had, a, I've had a really good career. Like, there's a chance I'll end up in Canton one day. There's a real legitimate shot. Or do you not allow yourself to ever go there? I know that's the, I know it's the, the popular answer, but is that the honest answer? Uh, you know, I put it this way. I'm proud of – I'm very proud of what I've done. You know, I, I, I think that – you know, he mentioned it three games missed in, in 13 years. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that and a lot of time spent trying to get yourself ready to play and get your mind right to go out there and play when you don't feel great. Um, you know, so I'm proud of that. I'm proud that, you know, I've been consistent uh, for a long time and, and be able to go out there and, um, you know, give us winning performances, give us a chance to win week in and week out. I feel like I've done that throughout my career. Um, but I've also always had the mindset and I know it's cliche, but I've also had the mindset that like, if you're, if you're thinking about those things, you're not thinking about winning that week and, uh, you're not focused on the right stuff. And I've always felt like if, if you kind of stay, you know, focused on what's right in front of you, what's important right now, you know, the big picture ends up taking care of itself. And so try and keep the big things little, keep my focus narrow and, um, you know, hopefully one day some of those things that you mentioned will happen. Well, Matt, I really appreciate your time. Of course, Matt Ryan, MVP quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, working with Tide, wash your clothes with cold water, help the environment, help out your own bills. So, Matt, appreciate your time, and best of luck this season going forward. All right, man, I appreciate it. Jamie's Log, Progressive, the Harrington's Backyard, Day 4, 2.18 a.m. I've been camping outside the Harrington house for four days now, proving that Progressive has 24-7 protection. Mr. Harrington says I don't need to do this, since Progressive protects 24-7 is a pretty easy concept to grasp, but I'm going to stay and prove my point. Besides, there's a big tree branch over the roof, and I think it's planning something. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates and third-party insurers, and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Our thanks again to Matt Ryan, who was gracious with his time. A great spot. Best of luck to him and the Falcons here as they start their season all everybody else in a couple of weeks. And, Lombardo, we move into in or out. Jamar Chase will prove a bad pick for the Bengals, in or out on the LSU product. I'm out. I think we make way too much of training camp. I think we make way too much of the preseason. And this is a kid who was all kinds of productive at LSU, 1,200-yard receiver. He's reunited with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow pounded the table for him. I was told by a couple coaches around the league the Bengals went out and got him. I just can't imagine that he's going to be this bad. He might not be the best receiver in this class, but he's not going to be a bust. I'm out as well because I, I agree. I think there, there's too much made of a bad preseason game. Well, Chase didn't play at all last year. He opted out because of COVID. You're knocking off a lot of rust. And, and in these games, you know, Burrow has only played once, played for three snaps. 
I, I can't get that worked up about it. Now, look, I will say there's some concern for me coming out of the Bengals game. You hear a lot of noise about Burrow has looked very tentative with that knee, which is to be expected, but that's a problem here as we head into week one. There's not going to be any more, hey, three snaps for Joe Burrow. It's going to be, no, man, you're playing the whole game now if you're healthy enough to do it, which from all indications he is. Jamar Chase, like, I'm not holding these, these snaps against you in preseason, man. I don't care about that. But it's time to step up now. I am nervous about the chatter, but I'm out. I'm not ready to sit here and, and make a grand declaration that Jamar Chase can't play because he dropped four passes in the preseason. Next up, the Panthers. You already talked to this, so this gives a little bit of, a, of an obvious answer here for you. But the Panthers will win eight games, at least eight games this season in or out. Yeah, I think I'm in on that. Again, you talk about all the talent they have at wide receiver, and I think that defense is sneakily talented at all three levels. They're playing a last-place schedule, so they're going to have some winnable games on that schedule, and it all comes down to Sam Darnold. And, you know, I've been out on Sam Darnold, but I think that a lot of that was just a terrible situation with Adam Gase and the Jets. Never was able to find his footing. He needs to like Daniel Jones and like Carson Wentz, we also talked about on this podcast, needs to learn to eliminate turnovers. And if he does that, sure, Carolina can win eight or nine games. I'm out, but barely. I like him to win seven. I think they have a talented offense. I love Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore out there. By the way, Terrace Marshall looks fantastic. In the sure does. Okay, you get Christian McCaffrey, who was basically out all last year, or most of it. My concern is what you just talked about, man. I just cannot get by Darnold. I can't. And I, and I think Darnold's a talented kid. I, he's, and I say kid, he's 23. Yeah. Like, Darnold's a really young guy. I just, I have to see it. I have to see him do it because, man, I, I've watched him for the Jets, and every year I'm like, you know what? He shows promise. He shows potential. And then nothing happens. And he throws a bunch of picks, right? And, and, and the best thing that came out of the season for him and the Jets last year is that it ended. So, <laughs> I, you know, I just – I can't be in on them until I see him play better. Like I, even though Jameis is a pick machine, Jameis is a better quarterback. Matt Ryan's a better quarterback. Tom Brady, a little bit of a better quarterback. So I just need to see it out of Darnold. But I do think the potential is there with their offense. And now a lot of these guys, they used their whole draft class in 2020 on their defense. I would expect to see some maturation. Brian Burns is a kid I think is going to explode onto the scene this year. Staying in the NFC, at least – Three teams out of the NFC West will reach the playoffs, in or out. At least three. I think I'm out on that. Four could get in, so I went on at least. I I think I'm out on that only because I think that that division, as it typically has been for over a decade, is one of the more competitive divisions in football. And I think that the 49ers can be a Super Bowl caliber team if that defense stays healthy. I think that anytime you have Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll in the mix, they're a team that can compete for a playoff spot or more than that. Arizona, Cliff Kingsbury needs to learn to close. I mean, that second half was just a train wreck for them last year, but they have all that talent around Kyler Murray. But the problem comes in, they all play each other, right? So I think you're going to have an inverse NFC East situation here where you have three or four teams that win eight or nine games. And because of that, only one or two get in. And you might see an extra team from the NFC South sneak in, or you might see multiple teams from the NFC North sneak in, especially if the Bears and Lions both struggle and the Packers and Vikings, you know, pick up a couple extra wins. Uh, Long story short, I think the NFC West is such a gauntlet that yes, they might be four of the best teams in the conference, but I don't think more than two can get in. You know, I went back and forth on this. I'm actually in because I just think the rest of the NFC stinks. 
like the NFC East isn't getting a wild card team. I don't think the NFC North, man, I was so high on the Vikings coming into the season and then the preseason happened and I couldn't be more out. I just sounds like me and the giants. I just, and the giants, by the way, were another team. I, yeah. I actually initially picked them to win the division after watching the preseason. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go that route now, but like the Vikings, I think the Vikings have a ton of talent. But it's just a train wreck. Like the, the quarterback is is basically saying he's going to put himself in a plexiglass box. You have you have all these guys now. Irv Smith is out, so the tight end depth. Who knows what's going on there? Zimmer, one of the most honest quotes you'll ever get in your life, came out to reports today and said, "Yeah, we're not very good at tight end without him." Well, he's out now for a while. Like defensively, I like them, but I don't know. Is that enough? Like to overcome all the chaos? I, I just I'm just concerned. They've had some injury concerns, so. My point is, I look at that conference, and I'm like, yeah, I think if, if you get three teams that win nine games, the NFC West are going to get in. I think that's going to happen. Now, I do think the problem for them is I don't think you're going to have a team that wins 14 games. Nobody's right. going to one seed out of that division because it's just so brutal. But I do think you're going to get three. Um, and, and I'm a little I, I more think- bullish on the NFC East than you are because I think that Washington has one of the best front sevens of football. Oh, I no love question. their supporting cast around Ryan Fitzpatrick with Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and all the pieces they have there. They're a well-coached football team. I'll make case that the Cowboys are a top three explosive offense if Dak Prescott stays healthy. And it comes down to whether that defense, if all of the investments they made in the offseason pay off, they're a team that can win nine or 10 games. And I think the Eagles are a sleeper team with all of the speed they've built around Jalen Hurts with a top five offensive line that you know, I'm not going to rule out the NFC East getting a wild card. And that's one of the reasons why I think that because those teams might not be as, they might not beat each other up as much as the NFC West does. That's why I think it's going to be such a struggle for the West to get that extra wild card through. That's fair. I agree with you, by the way, Washington. Like, I love Washington's roster. I'm nervous about the quarterback position, but I love the defense in Dallas. The offense is there. The, the, the thing that scares you with Dallas is, I, I, I just, man, I'm so tired of every year with Dallas. The hype train just comes rolling through. America's and, team, baby. And every year, it's just, oh, look at that. More bullshit. Like, they can't stop anybody. The coach is a train wreck. Well, it doesn't seem that it matters. Like, it was almost like a seamless transition from Garrett to McCarthy. It's just, I, I don't know, man. I got to see Mediocrity that. to mediocrity is what it was. It is. It's incredible. It was seamless. Um, all right, last one. In or out, the Buccaneers, not the Chiefs, should be the betting favorites to win Super Bowl 56. I'm going to needle you a little bit here. I'm going to say in uh, just because I think that, you know, Bruce Arians is one of the same with Andy Reid, one of the top coaches in the league. Tom Brady showed you that he could survive a down stretch in the postseason and still run the table as a wild card and win the Super Bowl. They bring back all 22 starters, great offensive supporting cast, great offensive line. And, and look, last year you talk about bringing in Brady, Gronkowski, a couple of the pieces on defense. Those guys, it took some time to get going. You don't need to worry about building up chemistry this time. You don't need to worry about learning a new system or having everybody come together. I couldn't be more in on the Buccaneers going into this year. And I think that if I were plunking down a bet, it would be on Tampa Bay to win the Super Bowl. You know what? I'm in. I'm in too. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, look, you know what? I'm in for a few reasons. One is they brought back everybody and Brady has seven rings. Okay. That team, I would argue, look, show me where they're not good. Where are they not? Yeah, there's like, no okay. weakness. I know. The running backs aren't great. But they're fine. They're not bad, right? 
maybe the corners like Carlton Davis is good, but I don't think he's great. Jamel Dean. I mean, you want to make that argument. That would probably be the weakest spot in the team, the corners, but they're, they're great everywhere. Yeah. My biggest concern with them is injuries. That is an, they're just, they're old. They're an old team in a lot of spots. And, you know, Antonio Brown also concerns me. Like, does that blow up in week seven when he doesn't get enough targets? I don't know. He's a complimentary um, piece, though. I mean, you can get by well, with yeah, Evans to Godwin. To you and me, is he a complimentary piece in his mind? <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's where like, I could like, agree with you. But I will say this. So that's one reason. I just think they they have no weakness. Where Kansas City, look, I think the Chiefs are obviously very, very strong as well. I don't know that they exactly have a glaring weakness either. But I could sit there and say, look, after you get Hill and Kelsey, you know, McCall Harmon's got to step up, right? Like, they have three rookies on the offensive line next to each other. Now, they've looked great, but there are three rookies on the offensive line next to each other. Like, there's more of a concern there than there might be, um, you know, if they were in the second or third year. So, the other part of this is, I just think the Bucks' path is a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, The Buccaneers are clearly, like, look, I think we can both agree, and most people would agree, the Buccaneers are the best team in the NFC, and the Chiefs are the best team in the NFC. Like, if all goes well injury-wise, those teams should flat out have a rematch in the Super Bowl. They're just that good. Um, you look at the two brackets, Matt, and you look at the AFC and you have Buffalo, you have Cleveland, you have Baltimore, the NFC, it's Tampa Bay, Green Bay, and who else? The Cowboys? And whoever the best team out of the Niners? Yeah. Seahawks? I mean, the the, the Buccaneers are going to be favored against any of those teams. Tampa's division's terrible. Yeah. Right? Like, I agree. I think Green Bay is really, to me, the only threat to really beat them until they get to the Super Bowl, if they see Kansas City. I will say this. I would just like to see them, both both teams, healthy in the Super Bowl. Because the game last year was such a dud because Kansas City just had, they had no offensive linemen left. They couldn't block anybody. I would love to see Joe Tooney and Orlando Brown and all these kids going against that front. Like, that would be a great game. Um, but I, I actually do. I think the Bucs should be the betting favorite. I get why the Chiefs are. I think overall the Chiefs are probably more talented like even though I think the Bucks have fewer holes, the Chiefs' top end talent is just so ridiculous. Yeah, that I, that I, I think if you and they have the quarterback, Patrick that, Mahomes is going to make you that's put you in a position to be a favorite in every yeah. game. So I, I think it's I think it's really fascinating. But in any event, we can stop there. But I I think the path is just harder for the Chiefs. Uh, yeah. But I will say this: I I think they're they're going to see each other again in the Super Bowl. I do, and I, I, I never ever pick a rematch ever. It just usually doesn't happen. I picked it last year. I'm going to pick it again. What the hell? I, I think they're going to be there. Yeah. I think those two teams are going to be there. All right. Let's wrap up quick. Um, what's going on in your life? What's happening? Uh, you know, I, you you lead off. You you had the busy week. You, you're the world traveler over here. That's fine. Yeah. I, w- I uh, drove from Illinois to my parents' house in New York. And uh, we're recording on a Monday. I went to my cousin's wedding last night in New Jersey. Uh, it was great. It was a beautiful wedding. Really enjoyed it. I drive back to Illinois 13 hours tomorrow. And then that's it, man. I'm done. Until we're going to the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Yep. I'm I'm done. I'm not leaving the state of Illinois. So I'm happy to just rest up and, and relax. Yeah, I'm excited. You've probably seen on Twitter that I've got the new Blackstone griddle as my yep. uh, birthday gift for my wife. Just a, just a lot of fun cooking up some great recipes. And starting Saturday, 
Penn State kicks off one of their biggest games of the year, Wisconsin, having the season ticket crew over for a tailgate. We're going to throw the cheesesteaks on the griddle, maybe some smash burgers. Or I'll airmail you a smash burger to Illinois <laughs> so you can you know, chow that down. Uh, but look, man, I'm just excited to be fully vaccinated for, you know, seven months or whatever it is now. And, you know, you have Penn State and Auburn coming up with the whiteout. I'll be at a handful of Penn State games this year. It's just nice. And I know what's happening out in the country, but it, it's nice to feel somewhat safe at the moment to do some things that we all love to do. And it's great to have football back more no than anything question. else. No question. Next time we come on, uh, we'll have Carm back and we'll be two days away. And of course, if you like this episode, you love this episode, go check out the Matt Lombardo show. Subscribe to that as well. If you subscribe to this, you're already subscribed to that. It's the same stream, right? If you haven't subscribed, what are you doing? Right. If you stayed this long, what are you doing? subscribe. Yeah, it'll go right to your feed. Now it's the NFL season. You got to be back for that. So for Lombardo, I am Matt Verdam. This has been Stacking the Box on August 30th. We will be back next week to preview the season. Football 10 days away. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Draft your team and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.